All right, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, please. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. And the message is entitled, God's Role for Children, and this is part 2. Children, teens, and young adults today are one of the most disrespectful, violent, and without conscience of previous generations in America. The public school education and university have turned out to be the Trojan horse to America. And now the judicial, legislative, and executive branch are denying our national godly heritage by twisting um, the interpretation of our Constitution. Congressman Jane um, Trificant, a Democrat, on June 20th of the year 2000 noted, and I'm quoting, quote, The Supreme Court says pornography is okay, and it's okay to burn the flag, that communists can work in our defense plans, that's okay to teach witchcraft in our schools, and that it's okay for our students to write papers about the devil, but the Supreme Court says it's illegal to write papers about Jesus. It is illegal to pray in school, and now the Supreme Court says it is even illegal to pray before a football game. Um, Beam me up. I thought the founders intended to erect uh, a Supreme Court, not a Supreme Being. He called the majority of justices so politically correct and so downright stupid that they could throw themselves down on the ground and miss it. Eight years later, the young adults of America were the tipping point to the elect the first progressive liberal socialist Marxist president of the United States, Barack Obama. The scriptures tell us of the ungodly generation that arises on the earth at different times. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 14. There's a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. What a perfect description of the generations from the 1960s to the year 2016. Wow. Last time we um, focused on the command of children, teens, and young adults to obey their parents, which focused on their actions due to several reasons. They are commanded by God to obey being the children of their parents under their authority, as we saw in verse 1. They are to live out their position in the Lord, and they are to obey because it is right, proper, and appropriate. Now we come to the second command regarding the conduct of the children, focusing upon their attitudes. So last week was actions. Now it's attitudes of honoring father and mother, marked by these three characteristics that follow. Let me read verse 2 through 3. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and, and you may live long on the earth. And so the three marks is characterized by the following. First, the command to honor parents is personal. 
Second, the command to honor parents is a priority. And third, the command to honor parents has a promise. This is to children who live in the home, young adults, teens who are within the home. Notice he begins with the command to honor parents and it's personal. Look at verse 2 there. The command to honor regards both parents. The father is to be honored because he is the head of the home. The one who is giving the direction to the family. The one who is looking out for their welfare and safety. Providing financial resources so that mother can carry out and care for the supervision of the children in the home. The one who may or may not be a Christian, as Paul is writing. Nevertheless, he is the head of the home by God's design. If you're a woman and you're married to a non-believing man, your husband is the head of you and your home, even if he's a non-believer. All right? Remember, in the Roman world, the father had absolute legal power and authority over his son, regardless of his age, to scourge him, to imprison him, to chain him, even put him to death, called patria potestas. Now, I don't think we've gotten there yet. <laughs> People always say, well, you know, the stuff you're teaching today is really not, you know, are, are you kidding me? Are you, do you know the culture that Paul is saying this to? The mother is to be honored because she is the complement or counterpart of the father. The one who is one with the father, the one who completes the father, the one who spends and being spent constantly for the good of the family and the home. I don't know any other job, if you want to call it, that takes more time, more energy, more courage than being a mother. That's why so many mothers rather go to work than be with the children. It's easier to go to work than to be with the brats. The one who may not be a Christian, nevertheless, the submissive helper is to the father, according to God's design. The one who has carried the child in her womb for nine months, nursed them, changed them, nourished them, cared for them, they leave the home. You ever see football games? Basketball games, the professionals? They don't say, hi, dad. They say, hi, mom. The home is um, defined by a father, a mother, and a child, according to God in the Bible. This was God's design from the beginning when he created Adam and Eve, as you know, and it still is. Male and female, complementing each other, not two males or two females, as tolerated and taught today by a perverted liberal society. And much of the emergent church is going along with this political nausea nonsense, calling themselves Christians. Every generation since the beginning of man has attempted to alter the family in one way or another. The word of God is always under attack. Every generation has experienced the tragic loss of one parent through death, only to experience the loss of the efficiency and complementing benefit provided by the dead parent. 
revealing that marriage and family takes two, one man, one woman, not just one or the other. People inflict this condition on their families through divorce, by single mothers out of wedlock, and by other arrangements willfully that our society calls the norm. It is not the norm according to God. And so we have manipulated the language of the day. And whoever manipulates and commands language is in control. That's why the educational system has created a new vocabulary. That's why President Obama created a new vocabulary for his administration. That's why the emergent church is creating a new vocabulary. We're not a church. We're at our campus. Campus what? We don't do sermons. We don't study. We don't expound. We dialogue. We talk. Redefining Christianity, the Bible, and the Christian. It's real subtle. The command is to honor both parents. It's the second command to children. Now, the first command was to obey, as we saw dealt with the actions of the child, the teen, or the young adult. Actions can be deceptive. Actions can, do not always reveal the intent of the heart. Actions can often have ulterior motives, because you can't read the thoughts of the heart. The second command is to honor parents here. The word honor means to respect, reverence, to be in awe, with a sense of courtesy and an estimate of fixed value on something. This is an imperative, present, active command to be continually going on by the young person or the child. The idea being of a young person's recognized appreciation for their parents for what they do for them every day. The perception is one who looks up to another. In the Greek Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew writings, the word honor is translated by six Hebrew terms for God, kings, parents, elderly, the poor, the royal, or the loyal, slaves, doctors, and temples. Notice the command to honor speaks of the attitude of the son or daughter. The reality of the heart, the thoughts, and the intent is what God is more important, more interested in. He sees the heart. You and I don't. The source of the action being love and appreciative value of the parent. The right attitude will lead to the right action. And the action is honorable only if the attitude is right. Some parents um, have done some very foolish things in their marriage and towards their children. Making it very difficult for the child to obey and to honor them as parents. But the command to honor is to those who are born again, 
not necessarily because the parents deserve it, but because God commands it, having the capacity to do so. So he's not saying, okay, you who are Christian children and young adults, honor your parents if they're Christian. No, no, no. You honor your parents, you obey them because they're your parents, and that's the priority. The word is found throughout the New Testament. The word is used by Jesus to honor father and mother in the Gospels. Matthew 15, 4, Mark 7, 6. The context of Matthew is financial help as evidence of honoring your parents. You help your parents if they need to when they're older, right? You don't just sidestep it. Jesus used it of honor due to God and honor he gave to the Father in John 5.23 and John 8.49. Paul uses it to honor widows who are widows indeed, those who have no family members for financial support in 1 Timothy 5.3. Peter uses the word to honor all men and governmental authorities. Amazing. 1 Peter 2.17. Think of the policies of the Roman government so you have proper perspective when he says, honor the governmental authorities. <laughs> Paul says the same thing. Because they have been put there by God, right? And we are to honor and to obey all the laws of the land unless they deny us to worship the Lord or to obey the Lord. That's the only time that we are to disobey. Simple. Today, the um, youth demand a music of gangster rappers singing about giving them respect. What they mean is recognize me with honor for my corrupt lifestyle without making any judgment. Yet the Bible speaks that children and young adults are to highly respect and honor their parents and elders for their Invaluable input for life. Again, we've redefined words. What are you talking about? He disrespected me. Are you saying he mad-dogged you? He called you out? That's what they're talking about, see? It's almost like you're challenging me. Because you're arrogant and you're proudful. It has nothing to do with respect. Again, we redefine words. We allow the culture to set the agenda, and that's always a bad thing. The world is never to set the agenda. The church sets the agenda for the church. The scriptures do. The scriptures transcend culture. Culture does not transform the church. The church transforms the culture. Is that clear? Let me give you ways, though, we can... Dishonor our parents by lying and deceiving them. Like Jacob in certain areas such as perhaps in our application. Dating, friends, the places you go. You say you're going but you don't go. Because remember Jacob deceives his parent, right? Jacob got all dressed up like his brother. Is that you my son? He said, oh yeah, it's me. Come a little closer so I can smell you. <laughs> wow. By not living for the Lord as Eli's sons and the sons of David, Amnon 
and Absalom. Remember Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli? 2 Samuel 2 and 2 Samuel 13. Eli's sons dishonored their father and mother by stealing the sacrifice for the sac of the offerings and laying with the women in the temple. Dad never said nothing. David's son dishonored their father and mother. Amnon raped Tamar and Absalom murdered Amnon. And they wanted to overthrow their dad. Wow. Second Samuel 15, 4 says, Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, he's standing at the gate. He's being one of the judges, right? And he's a real handsome guy, hair thick, you know, just all the girls drooling all over themselves. It says, Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land. And everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. He's slamming his dad. My dad should be here, but I'm here. Oh, if I were judge, I would take care of you. And then it says, and he would kiss them. And that's how he stole the hearts of the people. Wow. Let me give you some ways we can honor our parents. By recognizing they are of the greatest value to your life. And not simply to ruin the fun in your life. If you're a young person. By recognizing that what they do and say is out of love to protect you. By obeying them in all things that are just and scriptural, Colossians 3.20. Remember, Isaac obeyed and honored his father, Abraham, to the point of death when he offered him up on Mount Moriah. You realize that Isaac was about his late 20s, early 30s. He could have overpowered his dad. <laughs> he could have said, I don't think so, old man. Yet he lived in the home, right? But also by caring for them in old age, even as David saw refuge for his parents in Moab in 1 Samuel 22, 3. Too many do not want to be bothered, but merely hand elderly parents over to daycare centers or caring centers. Now, there may be a time when this may be necessary and the entire family should get together and discuss it. But every avenue should be exhausted so that the family can care for their elderly parents until the point that it becomes impossible. Am I clear on this? Okay. And it's a very difficult decision. I had to make it for my dad. I'm right now with my mom. But you cannot abandon them. And many of these older people, you go to some of these convalescent homes, they, they, nobody, they don't get visited. But it's kind of like the worldly model of today. These parents just live for themselves. They weren't there for their children. Now it's payback in the world, right? But if we're Christians now, we don't pay back, right? We have obligation. We're Christians. So we have to love them, respect them, and care for them as we can. Both parents are included in this honor. And being unbelievers has nothing to do with it. They are your parents. Mark 7, 11 says, Jesus revealed 
the dishonor of parents in his day by attempting to make it a spiritual sacrifice and service to God, saying to their parents uh, that what they were going, they were going to help them out financially. But I've dedicated this money to the to God. We, I've called it Corbin, which means dedicated as a gift to the Lord. So I can't help you, mom and dad. Well, how dishonorable is that? <laughs> you think God respects that? Of course not. But it was just a, an excuse to not help, right? Some children, Christian children, give a bad example of Christianity to their unbelieving parents. Some slander their parents and misrepresent them and make them selves look better than they really are. Others negate the message of the gospel by their actions and attitude towards their parents in word and in deed. James um, one twenty five puts it this way, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. You look in the mirror, you don't walk away. What the heck did I look like? You look in the mirror, you have an eyelash wrong, you fix it, right? You have a button, you fix it. You don't just say, eh, whatever. So the command to honor father and mother is personal to the child, teen, young adult, for life. If you're a Christian. Second. Second part of two. The command is to honor parent is a priority. The commandment is said to be the first of a particular order. The commandment is found in the book of Exodus, you know, in Exodus 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 5, 16. The first thing we notice is that the command is the fifth commandment, not the first of the ten. The first commandment is the first of the second table of the law, which focuses on man's relationship to man, while the first table deals with man's relationship to God as the foundation for the last six. So the first one is the vertical, the second is the horizontal plane. Okay? Now, the word first is the word protos. It's used a hundred times in the New Testament. The word is used for something first in order, as well as first in importance or priority. The context will indicate the meaning. Scholars take different positions, yet I believe that the reference here could refer to both order and importance. The first in order of the last six commandments that deal with man's relationship to man. But certainly it is the chief in priority as a commandment in importance for the family, recognizing God's authority vested to the parents and because it is in the Christian home we are taught about God and the concept of right and wrong. This commandment is the foundation guarding against the other commandments in relationship to man that follow. Listen, murder, adultery, stealing, false witness, Coveting, all these will destroy the family life rather than being bringing about 
good benefits to life. So this is the priority to achieve the foundation of the last six. Honoring father and mother. If you honor your father and mother, you're not going to murder, you're not going to commit adultery, you're not going to steal, false witness, coveting, so on and so forth. Right? Because we have the honor of God before us first and then those who God has given to us, our parents. Now, the commandment is said to be accompanied with a promise notice. The word promise means the act of vowing or assuring a blessing or benefit. The word is found in this form 53 times in the New Testament. The law gave promises and blessings, as you know, and cursings depending on the obedience or disobedience, particularly Deuteronomy 27, 28, Leviticus 26. A promise is only as good as the one who makes it. The one promising the child a benefit is God in this context. God cannot lie, Numbers 21, 19 says, and God has always kept all of his promises to his people, be it in blessing or in cursing. God told Adam and Eve, if you don't eat, you'll be all right. If you eat, you're in trouble. He kept his word. He can't lie. The promise in our text, notice, is for the future of the young person who obeys God in honoring his father and mother. The promise of God is to be fulfilled through the most natural process of obedience to God's word and obey and honor father and mother. Very natural way. The promise is to the believer who has the capacity to obey, not to the non-believer. God never asks you or myself to do something I cannot do. If he asks me and commands me to do something, he enables me to do it. Simple. The command is not to frustrate or make the life of a child or young person miserable, but to discipline them and bless them. Notice the command to honor parents if it is going to have its full impact must be understood in the societal context of its day and the views of children. So let's put it in the context and the culture that Paul is writing. When a child was born in the days of Paul, a child would be placed at the father's feet. If he picked the child up, the child would live. If he turned and walked away, it meant refusal to acknowledge the child. Consequently, the child would be killed or put out. Okay? We kind of do it here, but we don't wait for it to be born. Abortion is the beginning, though there is partial abortion once the child is pretty, can live on its own, and then they do that. Okay? But I'm giving you the, the, the culture that Paul is teaching this to, okay? So you put it in context. When children were put out, by the way, many were left on the town square and people would take them and sell them or make them slaves. Others would be used simply for prostitution. 
Much of this is the same in Malaysia and many of the Asian countries and, and, and uh, over in Europe today. The sex trade is, is horrific today. Others, um, again, were just abused in every way. This is the society in which Paul is commanding children to obey their parents. So think about it before you um, complain. The personal letter gives a good example of that day. This is a letter in the days of Paul. Listen carefully. Hilarion to Alice, my wife. Heartiest greetings. And to my dear Barus and Apollinarian, Know that we are still even now in Alexandria. I beg you and beseech of you to take care of the little child. And as soon as we have received wages, I will send them to you. If good luck to you, you have a child. If it is a boy, let it live. If it's a girl, throw it out. You told Aphrodisia to tell me, do not forget me. How can I forget you? I beg you, therefore, not to worry. Is that weird or what? That's the world that Paul is writing this to. Seneca wrote, quote, We slaughter fierce ox, strangle mad dogs. We plunge the knife into sickly cattle, lest their Taint our herds. Children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown. The child who was a weakling or imperfectly formed had little chance of survival. Children were considered as an object or a thing rather than a living person with value. Are we clear on this? So don't be whining about what Paul is saying to you as the 2016 Christian. <laughs> There's a big difference, isn't there? Wow. As we hear this, we say, how barbaric. Yet we have murdered more babies by abortion than six million Jews that Hitler killed. Since 1973, when Roe versus Wade was passed, we have murdered 57 million infants up to the end of the year 2015. The worldwide abortion centers use one of the most conservative estimates on the number of abortions worldwide since 1980 to the year 2010. You ready? 40 million per year for 30 years, and these equal 1.2 billion abortions. At the same time, in China, 8.8 million abortions were performed each year, indicating one in five of all abortions worldwide. Do you think God is not going to judge this world? Absolutely. Particularly America. Because to those who much is given, much more is required. Our nation is founded on the biblical principles of the God of the Bible. As much as they want to deny it, they would have to destroy every monument in Washington, D.C. and change all of our documents, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and so on and so forth. 
Today there is such a shocking parallel and at the same time a greater level of degeneration. For women today deny life to the child before birth through abortion as we've indicated. Couples can abort just because of inconvenience of not planning to have a child for it would hinder their plans for travel, career, or finances. The logical explanation given is it would not be fair for us to bring in this child. And so rather than not being able to provide for the child adequately, it's best to abort the child. Let me get this right. It would be better for you to kill a baby than to bring it in and do the best you can to provide and you'll get along, but you'd rather just kill them. Are you thinking of the child or are you thinking of yourself? It's a lie that you're thinking of the child. Sounds sensible, loving, and compassionate, but it's nothing short of murder. The logical reason is that it is nothing but tissue and not really a living person. Yet the baby's heart beats all on its own 18 days after conception before the woman is even aware that she's pregnant. Hmm. How about the children that are um, unwanted and left to themselves? Therefore, they run away and they live on the streets resorting to prostitution because there's a, no given attention to them by absentee fathers, particularly the girls. It's a horrific thing that's happened to our nation. Many have no guidance or instruction. At times there is no love in the home. They see themselves as a burden to their parents or in the way of their new boyfriend or girlfriend, the live-in. Then there is the uh, reasoning of terminating a child's life because of some abnormality or deformity. Sounds like Seneca's day to me. Today, children and teens are living in much the same world of Paul's day. It all sounds so logical and compassionate. Why should we allow it? It's not fair for the child. But it's murder. They would be more truthful if they said it would be embarrassing to them and that they would not want to be burdened with such a child for the rest of their lives. I'd rather they be honest. The only thing that is considered is the woman's rights. But no one is concerned with the child's rights. In fact, the child in the womb has no rights at all. The womb is supposed to be the safest place for a baby. It has become the most dangerous place on the earth. Wow. The woman has rights over her body, don't get me wrong, until she decides to have sex and gets pregnant. 
then her rights are forfeited. They're over. The life of the child takes precedence over the life of pleasure. If her life is in danger, then she makes that decision along with her husband. And they do it in good conscience before God. No one else. You see, children, teens and young adults are to honor their parents categorically straight across. At times, honor is given to one but not the other due to resentment, bitterness, or division. This at times is due to the very influence of the words coming forth from one of the parents against the other parent to try to win the child, especially when there's divorce, bitter division. At other times, it's a result of constant bickering and accusations that go on. Honor is given to one above the other, yet both are one, and the honor and respect is to be given to both of them. Both moving as one will strengthen their oneness and cause the child or teen to see their commitment to God and each other. The problem with being a young person under authority is that we think we know it all or know better than our parents. We become Ikes. I know it all. And uh, life proves us wrong as young people. All the commands, notice, are in view of the new capacity God has given to the child and the teenager, the new nature in Christ Jesus. A Christian cannot say to God, I cannot. All they can say is, I will not. The command to honor father and mother is to be a priority then to the child, the teen the young adult in life. The third thing Paul says is the command to honor parent has a promise. Don't miss this. Notice the promise is attached to honoring one's parent in that one will experience a quality of life. That it may be well with you. That the young person may be the recipient of the best life has to offer. The heiress denotes permanent and well-being in the full Christian sense in the future. The middle voice indicates the person is responsible for this coming on them by honoring their father and their mother. In other words, you as a young child in your obedience bring this blessing upon you. No one does it for you. You are participating. You are involved in this. No one can do this for you. Honoring father and mother, they honor God. Honoring father and mother is Honor with the blessing of life given by God. Now the young person who is honoring father and mother is laying a foundation for all the other relationships that follow. Listen carefully, young people. 
If you're honoring your father and your mother, you're honoring God. You're honoring the divine pattern for the family. You're recognizing God's wisdom in the family structure. You're training to be parents towards your own children by first being doers of the word of God as children towards parents. Honoring father and mother is the chief commandment in importance because it is the heart and the source of all that follows in life. Now, this does not imply that a child, teen, or a young adult will not experience anything negative if they honor their parents. They're not excluded from suffering. They're not exempt from illnesses. They're not guaranteed escaping ridicule or persecution. The promise is that God will be with the young person providing the best for their life in and through the circumstances God allows to take place. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly in John 10.10. Jesus said in the world you should have tribulation, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now notice the promise attached to honoring one's parents is that one will experience also quality of life and live long on the earth. The promise of God to the Christian child and teenager is long life on the earth on the physical basis. The quality is expressed by the phrase that it may be well with you, the quantity by the phrase and live long on the earth. So you've got quantity and quality. Paul is, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, changes the quotation here of Deuteronomy 5.16. Deuteronomy 5.16 says, In the land which the Lord your God is giving you, he changes it to the earth, because the church is not looking for earthly blessing of the kingdom. We're looking for a spiritual blessing and a spiritual kingdom, okay? So he changes it to apply it to the church, all right? The mere wisdom of obedience in life provides a better chance of living better. The wisdom of obedience you will never understand until time has passed and you're able to look back. The law stated that any son or daughter who struck his parents or cursed them was to be put to death. Exodus 21:15, Leviticus 20, verse 9. They didn't have juvenile detention halls. Discipline and consequences do have an effect for deterrence. Consequences are a mark of love for the child. Capital punishment is a deterrent. If practiced consistently, Genesis 9, 5 through 6 says we're to do that. Because we don't practice it, our society is always endangered. It's the criminal who has all the rights. Whenever there is a loss of respect and honor for parents, society becomes decadent and everyone in public life is endangered and at risk, as we see in our society today. 
Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly, early, or diligently. The promise of God to the Christian shell and teenager is eternal life on earth and in the heavenly spiritually, as the epistle began, all blessings in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. Now, the minute a person accepts the Lord as his Lord and Savior, he or she is given eternal life. Listen to John three thirty six. He who has the Son has life. He who has the Son has not. He who has not the Son has not life. And the wrath of God abides in him. There's a big contrast there. Colossians one thirteen. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Instantly, when you're born again, the minute a person dies physically in the Lord, they are instantly present before the Lord. Paul told the Philippians that he was hard-pressed between two things, a desire to depart to be present with the Christ, and which was far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, he says, was more needful for them, Philippians 1, 23 and 24, because they would better, they would receive the benefit of him being here. Okay, But he'd rather go with the Lord. Paul understood that the minute we are absent from this body, we are instantly present before the Lord in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, all the way down to 8. Instantly present, he says it twice, we're never found naked. Now, it is much like learning addition and subtraction. They are the first in order and importance to do well in all other maths in the years ahead. They are foundational and so is the honor to parents. If you don't learn addition and subtraction, you'll never be able to multiply, divide, or anything else. Or go on to geometry, calculus, and algebra, whatever. It's basic. The honor and respect and for parents and attitude and action is the foundation for everything else that follows. The quality of life that Christian children, teens, and young adults can experience is of the highest. I didn't have this privilege because I was lost. I wasn't born again until I was 23 years old. With to God, I would have been born again before I was 10 or 11. <laughs> it would have helped me out a lot more. But nevertheless, God is sufficient. First, in honoring one's parents, one has already decided to honor God and God says this, He who honors me, I will honor, and those who despise me, I sh they shall be lightly esteemed. 1 Samuel 3, 2.30. Wow. In honoring one's parents, one will avoid bad company or influences that will tempt or ensnare you into sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13, That him who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. Evil company corrupts good morals. In honoring one's parents, one is not living under any guilt or on the road to a callous conscience, but the peace of God. Isaiah 48, 22 says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. 
Much of my conduct as a child and teen in the world, though I was no saint, but when something ran a real high risk, I was um, controlled by my desire to not dishonor and disappoint my parents if I got caught. Not that I didn't do horrible things. But there was always that thing that I didn't want to face my mom and my dad, especially my dad. That kept me from a lot worse things. Now, if you fear God the same way, it's going to keep you out of everything altogether, right? The quantity of life that Christian children, teens, and young adults can experience is a long life in terms of years. On a physical level, right living according to God's word results in the happiness and right relationship, which often will keep us from illnesses, deterioration of our bodies. All the stuff we do, apart from honoring our parents and God, we're drinking, we're getting drugged, we're into promiscuous sex, that all can affect your health. Make you die real young. Simple. I probably burned... Hundreds of thousands of brain cells that I couldn't afford to lose, but I did. On the emotional level, we can enjoy long life and see it as a blessing because the quality of life, not yielding to resentment, bitterness, or anger. We have all experienced personally the effects of not controlling our emotions, but rather giving in to them. How does your stomach feel, your heart, the muscles on your neck, and the back of your head when you are angry, bitter, revengeful? How fast is your heart beating when you are doing something you shouldn't be doing? (laughs) On the spiritual level, God will inflict some with illness and others take their life. 1 Corinthians 11.30 1 John 5, 17. God does intervene in chasing his children. Some die young due to their choices of lifestyle. Others die young due to the effects of the fall. The introduction of sin, disease, and whatever. Yet some of the most ungodly people live longer than Christians who are obedient to their parents. But do not let this make you envious. For they are and have missed out on walking with God and they perish forever. Never be envious of the wicked. Read Psalm 73. It'll help you out. The evidence of our society is that most young people in our nation are disobedient to parents, dishonoring them and our self-will. Let me give you some statistics from a book called The Day America Told the Truth by two PhDs written in 1991. 91, 201, you got 15 years ago. Listen how bad we were back then. We're a lot worse now. Listen. Young men do most of our killing and dying. The homicide rate among young American males is 20 times that of Western Europe and 40 times that of Japan's rate. The United States has 20 times 
the number of rapes reported in Japan, England, and Spain. 1991. The national projection figures on date rape is as many as 19 million women that have been victims of date rape in America. 26 million Americans carry a weapon on them, usually a knife or a handgun, 1991. The evidence of a hopeless society is most evident by the total of 30,000 suicides that take place yearly in America, which is believed to be a conservative estimate. The music of our youth caters to the violence, vulgarity, and dishonor of all that stands for authority and honorableness, not to mention the movie industry. The testimony of a king who lived like a fool says it all. Listen carefully. He has preserved it for us. Do not let it go to waste. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 and then 13, 14. Verse 1 says, Remember now your creator, Solomon speaking, in the days of your youth before the difficult days come when you get old. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Verse 13 and 14 of the last chapter says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Pretty heavy, isn't it? You know, Solomon knew a little about being a fool. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines. He was a busy man. Very unhappy. You know what he said about women? I have not found one faithful. That's what happens when you have too many. Variety is not, does not make you wiser. It calluses you more. It's the way it is. Young people... You have, it's so good in America. Our forefathers did without sugar until the 13th century, without coal fires until the 14th century, without battered bread until the 15th century, without potatoes until the 16th century, without coffee until the 17th century, without pudding until the 18th century, without eggs, matches, and electricity until the 19th century, and without canned goods until the 20th century. Now, what was it that you were complaining about? <laughs> Amazing. The command to honor father and mother for the child, teen, or young adult has a promise of long life. This is the command of Paul to children to honor their father and mother, characterized by the command to honor parents. It's personal for life. The command to honor parents is a priority in life, and the command to honor parents has a promise of long life. Wow. Remember the children and the culture he's speaking to. When you start whining, <laughs> very important. 
Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for every person you've brought. And Lord, those who are hearing through the internet, we thank you. We pray you would just speak to their hearts and comfort those who are having a difficult time, strengthen the Christian young person to obey you, to trust you, to honor their parents. As you're praying, and if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet. If God has spoken to you, then you can repent and say this prayer and ask Christ to forgive you. Because apart from repentance, you will never see heaven. It is the agreement that Jesus became sin for you, died for your sins, paid the price for your sins, literally died in your place, and the judgment of God that you deserve fell upon him. And he died in your place and made that payment complete. And if you agree with that, then you can call upon him to forgive you of your sins. And he says that if you mean it, he will cleanse you from all sin and give to you eternal life. And he'll begin to direct and guide your life through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But it comes through repentance. So if you want to be born again, this is your prayer to the Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.